You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. And thank you so much for choosing to join us in worship uh, today. I'm Steve Poole. I'm the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at Cedar Hills. And thank you for all of you who cho- cho- have chosen to worship with us here in person. Um, <clears throat> we are talking about how God wires us with unique gifts. That's what we learned about last week. But what's more, God has given us unique passions that go along with those gifts that I think help us determine God's specific will for me and for our church as I was reflecting about this uh, this week, I was thinking about my late friend, Mike Albers. And he was a, he's a perfect example of this. He's a gifted, he was a gifted contractor and builder. And uh, after a heart attack, he was re-examining his life with his wife, Dawn. And they were asking really difficult questions like, what type of legacy do we want to leave? And how can we use our talents to glorify God? And I had, the, I had the privilege of seeing the results as they became volunteer coordinators for groups that came to do disaster relief. They spent over a year in Joplin, Missouri after the tornado there, coordinating hundreds of groups at hundreds of work sites, thousands of individuals. And I believe God uniquely gifted and called them, and he gave them a passion for that ministry. Not only was Dawn uh, skilled administratively and... Um, Mike had construction skills. They also both had the heart of a teacher. And so when I went down there with middle schoolers, how many of you know middle schoolers? We were able to do even a building project. He was teaching middle schoolers to use hammers to put nails together to build a garage for a family. Um, And high schoolers and college students, they don't have a lot of experience. If you've met builders before, sometimes they get a one-track mind. They're really good at what they do, and they like to work with people who are really good at what they do, right? They get frustrated with teaching people. But they had a heart of teachers, and God prepared them for that. And I know that they touched the lives of many individuals, and they touched my life because they connected the gifts that God had given them with the passion to help the needy, and they found where God was calling them. As a biblical example, last week we talked about a young shepherd boy who had many gifts and God called him to be the shepherd king, to shepherd the hearts of his people to worship the one true God, that's King David. This week our biblical example is going to be from passionate Peter. That's what I'm going to call him. The disciple Peter, later the apostle Peter. We're going to jump around from the Gospels to hear his story today. You'll see the, the passages up ahead. I encourage you to go back and read all these stories. But I'm going to highlight some things that I think illustrate how passionate Peter was and how God used that passion. So Peter was obviously one of those disciples. He might be the most famous or infamous, depending on who you ask, of the disciples. He was one of Jesus' closest three friends and disciples. Uh, There were a few times where he took just three disciples with him, and Peter was one of that group. That's why I say it. And Peter comes onto the scene in Luke 5. He is out fishing, and Jesus comes on his boat, maybe do some teaching, and then afterwards he says, Peter, go put your boat out, and we'll catch some fish. And Peter says, I'm a fisherman. It's not the time to go fish. He argues with Jesus, but then he obeys. And this is what happens. They put their nets over, and and God blesses the obedience with an overabundance of fish. And passionate Peter declares, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He never shied away from saying what he was thinking. Then there's probably my favorite story of Peter. It's from Matthew 14, 
where Jesus comes out to his disciples. They're in a boat. It's, it's the wee hours of the morning, if you will. And, and they see something coming, walking on the water towards them. And they, at first they think it's a ghost, and then they think maybe it's Jesus. And so Peter, he cries this out. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to walk on the water. Command me to come to you, Lord. And Jesus replies, come. And this miracle happens. This ordinary man, even a sinful man, as we just heard from his own admission, walks on water. And I just have been impressed by this ever since I, I started teaching this story at, at, at camp when I was uh, in college. Impressed with just the, the magnitude of this idea that he was a fisherman. He was around water all the time. What did it look like to step out of a boat and to believe that that water would be solid? And I, I'm a weird, I like to ask questions. What did it look like? Because it was wavy, right? What did it look like to walk on the waves? Did he have to climb up and down the waves? Or did he walk on an even and the waves just kind of splashed over his feet? I don't know what that looked like. But maybe I'll ask him when I get to heaven. (laughs) But Peter doubts. He takes his eyes off the Lord Jesus through whom whom this miracle is happening. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at the wind and the wave and he is afraid. And fear comes in and doubt. And he starts to fall and he sings. He cries out, Lord, help me. And Jesus comes and takes his hand and pulls him up. And they walk together to the boat. And Jesus scolds him, you of little faith. But I think we also should just pause and admire that boldness, that passion that he had to even ask the question, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water and to be daring enough to step out of the boat. And if the other disciples, the 11 who stayed in the boat are anything like me, they have as much humanity as I do, they might have been a little jealous of that moment that Jesus shared, the intimate, miraculous moment of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Peter's passion did get him into trouble sometimes. In John 13, we hear where he argues with Jesus. Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, and then he comes to Peter, and this is what he says, Never shall you wash my feet. But Jesus replies, If I do not wash you, you have no part of me. Then passionate Peter goes to the other extreme. He says, Lord, not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter just jumps around. He's so excited. He's like, okay, Jesus, I'm all in. Wash all of me. And and Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. This is not about washing people's feet. Jesus actually training his disciples. You need to be a servant. You need to be a leader like this. You need to be like the slave of all if you want to be a leader in my church. You want to lead my people, as we'll see. And later that night, Jesus is telling his disciples they're going to fall away from him when he's arrested. And Peter says this in Matthew 26, 33. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. But Peter, passionate Peter, argues with me. He says, "Even even if I die with you, I will not disown you. Peter has a passion for Jesus. He has a a zealous passion for Jesus. But sometimes it gets in the way. When his passion is not submitted to the will of Jesus, it kind of leads him astray. That's like a pride that leads to a fall. And Peter did fall. If you're arguing with Jesus today, I'd recommend to you that he's probably going to win the argument. And with Peter, 
Jesus was right. He denied him three times. And then what's next? How does Peter respond? Does he go home to Galilee, a broken man, return to the fishing trade in shame? No. We see in John 21, Jesus restores Peter. Reminiscent of that first scene on the boat, Peter is out fishing with some of his other friends, and Jesus is on the shore and he cries out, Put your nets on the other side. And they obey, and their nets are full of fish again. And Peter, in this moment, he's passionate. He puts on his robe, and he jumps off the boat. And he swims to shore to see his friend, Jesus, the risen Christ. Have you ever read that and wondered why he didn't say, Lord, command me to come out under the water? (laughs) Maybe he could have stayed a little drier. And Jesus reinstates Peter. He says three times, Do you love me? And Peter replies, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus commissions him. He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And he's saying, I have a role for you, Peter. I appreciate your passion. I know that you love me. And then we see Peter's passion potential tapped in Acts. In Acts chapter 4, I'm going to just do a little bit of what happened before that. But the disciples are together and the Spirit of God comes upon them. And they preach the word and Peter shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people become baptized members of the Christian church, the way. And Peter heals a beggar in Jesus' name. And that leads to his arrest in John's as well. And the two of them, they come before the Sanhedrin. The very same people who, who... had Christ crucified. They, They cheered, crucify, crucify. They mocked him at the cross. These same men, Jesus, that crucified Jesus are here and they have Peter and John on trial. And this is how Peter responds to their accusations. In chapter 4, verse 8, Peter says this, Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if, you are be, are we, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who is lame and are being asked who, how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands here healed. Jesus The stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which mankind may be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, and they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. We see Peter's passion and zeal now united with the the Holy Spirit as he proclaims the gospel and boldly, even in the face of the same people who, who murdered his best friend, his teacher, Jesus. So how does this play out in our lives? We are wired for good. That's what we believe here at Cedar Hills Community Church. How does that play out in your life and in my life? Here's a couple things I'd I'd like to to offer to you. One, I think we all need to know our passion. Know your passion. Since God has wired us, like Peter and like David last week, with specific gifts and passions, those come together to help us understand the calling he has in our life, the specific calling that we ought to, to be pursuing 
I think this helps us to answer that question that we left our last series with. We, we studied Micah 6, 8. Um, love, mercy, uh, walk humbly, and to do justice. Those are kind of those main key callings of, of the Lord. And we're going to have this question, how do we do justice? What does it look, for, look like for us, Cedar Hills Community Church, and for you as an individual to do justice in your context? And I think knowing your gifts is a huge part of that. Knowing your passion is a huge part of, huge part of that because that's where you find out, what do I need to do? What is God calling me to do? So I'm going to offer a few questions I think that will really help you define and, and, and find your passion. So here's one question. What kind of legacy do I want to leave? Maybe this week you can spend some time with you, your loved ones, praying over what kind of legacy do you want to leave. Another question. What makes me lose track of time? What could I be doing and I don't realize an hour has passed? Because you might be passionate about that thing. What problems bother me the most? Sometimes the quickest way to find your passion is to find the thing that irritates you the most because you're passionate about it. What do my closest friends say I'm passionate about? Seek the guidance of others. And what do you dream of doing? Maybe there's a dream, a vision God's placed on your heart and given you passion for, and you just haven't felt empowered yet to pursue that. And I pray that you'd, you'd ask the Lord to help you discern, is it time? Is that something he wants you to pursue? Boldly, as Peter, with passion, stepped out of the boat to walk on water or proclaim the gospel in front of the Sanhedrin. Number two, grow your passion. I think this week, if you know your passion, the next step is to grow your passion. And how is that done? I think it's by practicing practicing your passionate things that you're gifted in. Just like uh, some of the guys in the first service I know are getting ready for football season, right? They've been working out those muscles. They've been practicing because as they work out those muscles, they get stronger. I think the same is a little true in our own gifts and passions. As we practice those, we grow in those passions. And for me right now, that's something I am doing. I feel like God has gifted me in the area of preaching and teaching. It's something I'm passionate about, but it's something I still have a lot to learn. It's something I'm learning about right now, and it's a joy for me to be able to share this, this message with all of you. Something else about growing passions, and, and Scott mentioned it, is that your passions aren't like this stagnant thing, like God gave you this one passion is never going to change Sometimes God does change and grow our passions throughout time, like his son who went from wanting to be a baseball player to being a worship leader. Like 12 years ago, I took a spiritual gift survey, and the, the, the idea of shepherding was not even one of my top three. And the last two times I've taken those surveys, shepherding has shown up as either one or two. It's a gift that God's been growing in me, a passion he's been growing into me as I've entered into ministry. The idea of shepherding, of discipling those people who are in his flock. Number three, submit your passion. Peter had to learn to submit his passion to the Lord's will, to quit arguing with Jesus about the way he was going to do things and to just follow the leading of the Spirit. And that's so very true of our own stories. I want to suggest, um, let's say, for example, one of my passions is fishing. Any other fishermen out there? A few of you, good. Um, so if you have that passion, you're asking God, how do I use this passion for you? I'm going to suggest if your conclusion is I should go fishing every Sunday morning and quit going to church, that you probably need to submit that to the will of the Lord. <laughs> because he's told us that we are a part of a body, and bodies need to be connected. You, if you chop off the arm, it's not nearly as effective. 
If you go and you never attend church anymore, you're not being connected to the body, you're not being fulfilled, you need to reassess how you're submitting that to the will of the Lord. There's many ways you could use a passion for fishing. Maybe he wants you to to be a disciple fisherman. He wants you to take young men and young women out and talk about their life with them as you go fishing. Maybe an evangelist fisherman. You can invite your neighbors or your friends to go fishing with you and just share the gospel with them as you're out on on the lake for a day. So much fun and you can be serving the Lord. Number four, mobilize your passion. We were given these gifts and these passions for a reason. And I want to say that it's not for your own good. God doesn't give us spiritual gifts and passions to benefit us, but to benefit the body of Christ, to benefit each other. That's the beauty of being in Christian community is that God created us to use our gifts to to complement each other as we enter into this community, this body of Christ. And so as you practice and grow, you have to mobilize your gifts. If you hold them to yourself, it's, it's, just, it's just like missing the point as Peter did and saying, well, I'm going to hold on to this thing. We need to just activate those gifts and put those out and start using them for the power of the Lord. I think the kingdom, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The best way that's done is when God's kingdom people enter into the use of their gifts and their passions to bring God's kingdom here on earth in the context of being a part of his body. One last uh, analogy that, that, that Paul uses about this that I think it, it, uh, really connects with passion is Paul says the Christian life is like running a race. Any, any runners out there? It, in uh, 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says this, Don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, I've run a few races in my day. I've never run to win the race. I don't really have a racer's body. God did not give me the physical gifts to be a really good racer to win the, to win the race. But that connects to our spiritual side. Just like if you were going to train to win the Boston Marathon, you have to have a training plan. You have to be submissive to that. You have to get up every day ready to enter into those goals you've prepared. The same thing happened with with mobilizing our gifts and our passions. We have to have a plan and we have to have a follow-through just like someone training to, to run and win a race. So the last thing I want to do is just, just connect us once again to today to the the question we ended our last sermon series with, this idea that how do we as Christians here in Cedar Rapids, how do you, as a member of Cedar Hills Community Church and whatever other distinctions you have to yourself, how do you bring justice to this world and fight against injustice? And I think the best way to do it is to really lean into your gifts and your passions and your calling and, and seek out God's specific will for your life. Here's some ideas. I want you to not think it has to be so complex. Um, there's this, uh, this story that Lindsay brought to my attention about a tattoo artist. He, I don't know if he's doing this for God's will or not, but, but a simple way he's trying to help with this racial injustice stuff is he's offering to freely alter and cover up a tattoo that has hate language in it or a hate symbol in it or a gang tattoo. He's offering to cover that up for free. Maybe you're here today and you've got building gifts and you can come physically run some wire for us. Help the church be wired for good. Or uh, I know of Matthew 25 building project they've got coming up at the beginning of next month. You could get connected with that. Maybe the food pantry is part of your passion. Feeding hungry people. 
Maybe homelessness is a passion of yours. We work with Family Promise, and there's other organizations that God might be calling you to connect with if family promises, if, if homelessness is a passion of yours. I've seen some people posting in this, this time uh, an increased knowledge of sex trafficking. There's a huge injustice there. Maybe God's given you a passion for that, and you can enter into some solution through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so many ways. It can be as simple as taking a meal to somebody who's been at home a long time. Maybe somebody who's grieving a family member or a loss. A a family that's really just struggling right now. Simple ways that you can take a gift even for cooking and bless somebody this week. To activate those gifts, to put them into practice. Let's bow our head in, in prayer. God, I thank you so much for today. Thank you for the reminder Uh, That we are wired for good, not just our own good, but a greater good. We are wired for a good as we entered into the good news of Jesus. We are wired to be gospel people, to be kingdom people, to bring your kingdom to come here on earth as we practice our gifts and practice our passions. I just pray right now as we prepare to, um, to have a time of giving and, and we head out and that, that we would be really contemplating these, these questions and thinking about what is the kind of impact that I want to have? What kind of legacy do I want to leave, God? That's the kind of question that with your Holy Spirit can be guided to really open up our minds and, and, and help us to, to pursue new directions. I pray if there's somebody here who right now is arguing with you, God, I pray that they would realize that, that resistance is futile, <laughs> that, that you have a will and a plan for their life. And, and if they submit it to it, it is a plan for good. It's abundant life, John 10.10, 10, that, that we can have that abundant life if we enter into and submit our passions to you. God, I pray if there's somebody here who, who knows a passion they have but has just been struggling to launch it, has been struggling to feel like I, I can have the freedom to act in that way because it's scary sometimes to step out of the boat like Peter did. I pray that a person would, would seek your, uh, your timing, would seek your uh, spirit's leading in that, and that, that ultimately they would feel like at the right time they can move and, and, and enter into that gifting, that passion, that calling that you've created for them. Even if it's counterculture, even if some people shake their head and wonder why we're doing it. And we, if we're following you, we know it's a good call. God, I just uh, pray um, that you would um, be with us this week. I pray for those people who are at home, who, uh, uh, who, are, who are sick and, and ill, and have family members who are sick, God. I just pray that your hand of blessing would be on them. I pray that as a church we'd be people... Who, who support each other, and we would be a body of Christ, um, supporting and encouraging each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.